We're in Philippians in uh, chapter 2. Now, you've got a, a little insert. It may help you to follow along. I just thought, have you ever been to one of those Brazilian steakhouses? They're like my favorite place on the earth where you put a green card up and they just keep bringing the meat. And you just pick, well, I want more of that. And then when you get, you need a break, you flip the card up and it's a red card and they don't bring you any more meat until you get caught back up and then you flip that card back over. That's a little bit about what Paul's going to do uh, this morning. He's going to lay out the meat. It's uh, the, the depth of the Word of God in a way. But the interesting thing is that his point in doing that is not to prove that he's smart. It's not to prove that, you know, it, it, it's not to wow us. It's to challenge us as we look at the example of Jesus. It's all going to be very practically built on how, as Christians, God wants us to get along and love each other. That seems so basic and practical, but he's going to use the most profound truths to just say, you need to be humble. You know, instead of just saying, you need to be humble, he's going to give us the greatest example of humility that we'll ever see in our lives. So I want to kind of build up to these scriptures in chapter 2. Paul starts out, he's going to give us like all this encouragement to basically say, you can do it. Uh, he starts in verse 1, and he, he, he kind of asks a question with a, he knows the answer is yes. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from him loving you, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, and if you've ever met Jesus, all of that's true, and it's like, okay, yes, I've got some encouragement here. Verse 2, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded with each other as believers and having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Do you know how countercultural that is? That is like the countercultural message that you could ever get. It's a miracle when a human is humble. It's a miracle when a human cares about someone else as much and at times more than themselves. This is the miracle of the new birth is what God's wanting to make us. He says, verse 4, each of you should look not only on your own interest, but on the interest of others. Then he says this, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The word attitude here has the idea, some versions translates it, mindset. It's not just a thinking thoughts, it's, it's a way of thinking. It's how you approach and view life. It's, it's, it's bigger than a worldview. It's, a, it's, it's, the, it's, a, it's God's heart and the way he views life. And, and so he's challenging us to, I want you to think like Jesus, act like Jesus. Now he's going to give us the example of Jesus. Now I did this in a stair-stepped progression, starting from the very beginning. He's going to go back in time, beyond time, beyond creation, before the foundation of the world, he's going to look back. And then by the end of the, the, the verses we're going to look at, he's going to go completely into the future 
And he's going to come where Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. And in, in all in between is this, this downward, how low did he go from where he was to the grave and how high did God raise him up? And remember, this is all in the context of, Jamie, I want you to be the kind of husband that's humble. Now, when I got married, I never thought about humility being going to need to be important in a marriage. I never thought about that. I never thought that marriage would be about me learning how to give up what I would really like to do in preference of another. I thought marriage was getting what everything I wanted in life. And that's where some of you guys are still living in that and haven't had that reality check yet. Or maybe you're not married yet and you're still kind of dreaming of what... The reality of life is we have to learn I would, you, you, would call, you could call this message, I didn't, the, the Via Della Rosa, the way of the cross. This is the way that we're called to live, and it's not how you naturally will live. So have this mind. What was the mindset? What was the, what was Christ, what caused Christ to choose to do the things he did? So let's start in step one of the seven steps downward. Step one is, how high was Christ before he began his journey to condescend to come to earth? Verse six, who being in the very nature God. The, the word here for, for uh, very nature is the word morphe, M-O-R-P-H long E. Morphe means to be in the, the shape of, not, not in an outward kind of a, uh, but in a, uh, in, in, a, in a shape of his being. In the very nature, he starts out with Christ was God. Christ was equal to God. This is his pre-incarnate existence. This is before Jesus became a man. This is eternity past. John says it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, say it with me, God, John 1, 1. This is what this verse means. It, it, everything you could say about God, you can say about Christ. You can't, it's not like he's a little version of the big God because we only believe as Christians in one God. We're what you call monotheist, one God. We're not polytheistic as a Hindu would be. They have multiple, many gods. Uh, we share with the Hebrews, the Jews are monotheistic, one God. Muslims are monotheistic, one God. But they would view us as being multiple gods because we worship Jesus. And if you worship something and it's not God, it's blasphemy and it's idolatry. So Paul starts out with, you got to understand, you don't know how low he went until you see how high he was. You can't get any higher than Jesus before he became the man, Christ Jesus. You can't get any higher. The Son of God throughout eternity is in the form of God. He is everything God is. So when you see this journey down, you've got to understand it's not only revealing the way Christ thinks or his mindset, it's revealing who our God is, what our God is like. And this is astounding as you take. So the first step is you'll see, I give, I've given, let me just read the verse to you. Who being in the very form of God or the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The word here for that's being described with something to be grasped 
is, and I've, I've given this to you on your sheet, it's a Greek word, harpagamos. And not that, you know, makes any difference, but it's a cool word. It's rare. And it has two kind of implications. And people argue, well, it means this because it has that implication. Others say, no, it means this. And so you have two different camps of theological debate. And I always just put them together. I, I, and not to try to be uh, politically correct, just because I see truth in both sides. So one way this can mean, harpagamos means to grab something that isn't yours and to seize it, to make it yours. It, it could be even violent. So in one sense, he, he's saying, I don't see myself equal with God as something I had to seize, that I had to attain, I had to snatch. No, because he was in the form of God. He was equal with God. This is the temptation in the garden where the devil comes, who succumbed to this to begin with. He tried to seize, usurp, to be like God. And then he tells Adam and Eve, you know, you're missing out. You're not eating of that tree because God doesn't want you to be like him. And he basically is calling on them to seize harpagamos, to grab a hold of likeness of God as though it's something to be snatched. So on one level, Jesus said, I got nothing to snatch here. I am. When he came and he said, before Abraham was, I am. He came and he said, he was the creator of all. In John 1.1, 1, 1, he came unto his own that he created and his own didn't recognize. Jesus was equal with God, not something he had to seize. Okay, the other way, Pagamos, could be applied is it means to hold on to something in a selfish way to to grip something in such a way that I'm not letting go of this because to give you this in other words Jesus could have grabbed a hold of his prerogatives advantages privileges as God being worshiped and adored and and as only God deserves he could have clung to that and said I'm not leaving this for that, no way. I'm not letting go of my privileges to go suffer. Now, he didn't let go. The word harpagamos doesn't mean that he somehow stopped being God. And that's a lot of people will try to debate that because he's, he's chosen to let go of, to disrobe the glory side so he could come to earth as a human. So step one from equal with God is harpagamos. It's not, I'm not clinging to this. I'm not gripping a hold of my rights, which what do we do? We, we, we are a, a culture, especially as Americans, that our rights are our gods to the point where people can say, it's my body, I have the right. So they grip their rights to the point where it causes pain on a baby in a mama's womb. We grip to our rights. And even in, you'll see in, in, in arguments in, in marriage, and, and it doesn't even have to be something you know, serious. It does, you can get in a huge argument over something stupid and because you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to give up on being right, being first, being, you know, it, it's, it's just, it, it just escalates. It just becomes something that is destructive because you're clinging to something instead of choosing what's best 
for another person. Now, the third step. So first, he's equal with God. Second, he doesn't cling to that. He doesn't selfishly hold to his position. It's the opposite of worldly power. No king today would be like this king. He gives up his crown to come to earth. The third thing that Paul says in this journey of the cross, Via Della Rosa, this, this mindset of Christ, verse 7, he made of himself nothing. Now what this word is, and I've given you the word there, in the Greek, it's, it's the Greek word kenosis. And it means if you had a pitcher of water and you poured the pitcher out and it's empty, it's kenosis. It's, it's been emptied out. If you take a, a box full of content and you dump out all the content that's in the box and you shake it and you look inside the box, it's it's been emptied out. In this sense, Jesus is emptying himself out of these privileges, glory, power, strength, might. He's, he's not discontinuing to be who he is. He's laying his robe aside. He's taking off the kingly garment, and he's about to put on a different garment. He's taking off. He's pouring himself out. See, this is what parenting is. This is what, you know, these children didn't get to this phase without somebody pouring themselves out for those kids, praying them through, crying them through. It's a, you know, I don't, I always thought graduation should never be anything about the children. It should be about the parents. The children should all be watching and the parents should walk up there and, and say, say, I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. I know what it is. We graduated three of them. And by the end of it, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm promising everything to get them through there. You know, we're, we're, yeah, it's just like, it, it, just get to that point. You're like, they could have got anything out of us. You, you get to that 12 years. And I had one at, at the 12 years, a month from graduation, quit school. 12 years, one month. From graduation, she could have got anything out of old dad at that time, promising a car. Her, her mother had to finish her last project for her to get her across the finish line. Her son, when he got to graduation, he was a football player, and I said, buddy, if this was a football game, what would graduation look like? He said, Grandpa, I'm on the one-yard line. There's one second left on the clock, and I've got to score a touchdown to get over the line of graduation. He took her right to the mat. And it should and he would have never made it across that line had it not been for the mom. And so there's anyway, get off on all that. You got but but when you sign up to parent, you sign up to give up. You sign up to lose. You sign up to struggle. You sign up you can't have a hobby if you got kids. They are your hobby. You like to get rid of them and dump them off on somebody. But no. So Paul saying, "Oh, if you want to think like Jesus, Here's how Jesus thinks. He poured himself out for people. Listen to me. Listen to me. I heard this song, and it just, it just triggered in my mind because I knew I was preaching on this. And I don't know who sings it. It's a Christian artist. But the title of the song is, He Had Me in Mind. Now think about Jesus taking this journey from equal with God, not clinging to his rights, pouring himself out. He had you in mind. When he told the story of the prodigal son, he was thinking about you prodigals that have been away that are going to come home. He had you in mind when he told that story. So Jesus pours himself out to do what? To put something else on. Look what he puts on. He says he made of himself nothing. He poured himself out. 
and he took on the nature of a servant. The word nature here, just like in verse 6, is the word morphe. He didn't take on the costume of a servant. I know we have a song he dressed up, you know. He, he didn't, it wasn't Halloween. This isn't, let's look like something that you're not. It's not a, it's not a, a what is it, a disguise. This is reality. Just like when he was in the morphe of God, he was the, the being of God, the, the nature of God, the, everything. So the same is with a servant. He, he's decided to pour himself out, not just to come to earth. It's bad enough to come here. It's bad enough to lose all your rights, privileges, prerogatives. You come to planet earth, but you come and you choose to come as a slave. Now you talk about identifying. He cho chose to come. What I, I view in this is he had in mind the disciples and washing their feet at that moment before the, the night before he was uh, 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 condemned. He, he washed the disciples. What kind of God does that? No God we know of except this God. This is our God. He could have come as a king, rode in a white horse. He comes on a donkey. He's born of a poor carpenter's home. He's born of a, a teenage woman that has nothing. And this is the form he takes him. So it's not like he, he looks like he's pretending to be humble. He is. He personifies. His mindset is, I'm doing this for others. Remember the little acrostic, Jesus, others, yourselves, J-O-Y? And it, it, it truly, Jesus models that he's laying down whatever it takes to come here, not just to walk among us, but to come among us as one who never owns anything. He comes among us, and, and Paul says it this way in Corinthians. It's a great little verse. You might mark it down and, and look it up later. In 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 9, it says, though he was rich, God, morphe of God, though he was rich, yet became, he became poor for us. He, he bankrupt himself. He poured himself out, kenosis. He didn't harpagamos. He didn't hang on. He not only let go, he poured out. And then he took on the form of a slave. Now, that's not low enough. Not only does he do that, it says he is being made in human likeness. You say, well, that, that's, that's, that's a good, you know, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. Human likeness. He's, he's, in other words, he had a body just like ours with one difference. I gave you the verse there. Uses the same word likeness. Paul says in Romans, he had a body just like ours, except he had no sin. But he didn't have a glorified body on earth. He didn't have a superhuman body. He had a body that bled. He had a body that got hungry, a body that got tired, a heart that got lonely, sad. He had to deal with the same temptations the Bible says that we deal with. All the temptations are, that are common to us, he experienced them. Why? Because he was one of us. Why not just give him a, just a little notch up, Lord? Why go low not being a servant, that's hard enough, but having a body like ours? Come on. Now, there's a lot of debate. There's no answer to this. There, that people err on both sides, but there's a lot of debate. Could Christ have been able to get sick? I, I don't. Could he ever get a migraine? Does it make you evil 
to have an attack of some form of grief, pain, sickness. I, I think pretty much every emotion, whether he could literally had germs in his body or not, he had assaults. He was, the Bible talks about him, he was a man acquainted with grief. In fact, the body that he takes, though he says in the rest of this verse here, he, uh, he took a human likeness, verse 8, was found in the appearance as a man. What kind of appearance could he have chosen? He could have come around looking like a Tom Cruise. I mean, Tom Cruise is 60-something, looks better than he did in his 20s. I mean, what is it? It's probably all drugs. I don't know. I don't, shouldn't say that. I don't, maybe it's just, it certainly ain't Scientology that's helping him look young. Like I can just help you there. But the reality is, Jesus didn't take a stud body. You know, he, did, he, he, he was, the Bible says in Isaiah, there was nothing about him that made us look at him and go, wow, that's Jesus. Nothing about him. He wasn't handsome. He probably wasn't tall. He wasn't built. And now he worked hard as a carpenter, but he didn't go to the gym. He, he was just a guy. No one ever looked at him and go, wow, he's going somewhere. Yeah, he's going to work. He's going to build a table today. 30 years, that's all he did. There's nothing about him that said, I'm going to follow him. He's beautiful to me. In fact, the very qualities about Jesus that were beautiful, the religious people thought were ugly. They, they thought the fact of Jesus' holiness, purity, that that was a bad thing. They called him because a, 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 he didn't follow all their rules. They said, you're a glutton because he had, had fun, he ate. You're a wine-bibber. You drink wine. You're a blasphemer. You're a Sabbath breaker. You're a demonized man. You're crazy. These are the things they called him. What was his sin? He loved people. He walked in humility, kindness, truthfulness. No woman ever had Jesus look at him with a bad heart. He never looked at anybody with the eyes of saying, I'm groping you. He never looked at anybody with saying, I could take advantage of you. He never looked at anybody. He had a mindset in him that said, I'm coming to demonstrate what our God is like. And who would think a God would take just a body? If I'm going to have to take a body and go down there a bunch of those losers, I'm going to be bigger than all of them. I'm going to be bad to the bone. You said what? You called me what? Thump him in the head today. It's oh, I mean, he didn't come with that kind of power. He didn't come with that kind of strength. He came with a greater strength and a greater power and a greater beauty than that which is natural and outward and superficial. He not only took a slave, he took an old body like ours that could bleed, die, and so Why? Because he had you in mind. He had you in mind. Not done yet. He goes slower. How low could you go? He found in the, in the appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself. Now, don't miss this. He's already humbled himself as God. He was in the form of God. He didn't cling to it. He poured himself out. That's humbling, becoming human, becoming a servant. But now he's going to go lower. As a man, he humbles himself even further. This is the beauty and the glory of our God. No other God has an attribute they brag about that our God is humble. I was never taught that in seminary. 
I, I've learned all kinds of things about God that are wonderful. His, his transcendence, he's above all, his omniscience, he knows everything. He's omnipotent, he has all power. There's nothing impossible for him. He's omnipresent, he can go and everywhere, you know, and everything he is is, is eternal and, and, and there's no, no, you can't exhaust it. But I never was taught that you have a God that's humble. Now, what a contrast to be all of that and to think of others more than yourself. That's what drove Jesus to come to planet Earth in this form and not just to get here as a servant in a human body like ours, but to go a step lower. I'm going to humble myself even further by following what the Father asked of me. Look what it says. Not only did he humble himself, he became obedient to the point of death. In other words, there was no limit to his submission. He, now, you could have put a period there. It's a miracle. It's incredible. God, form of God, death. You, you, can't, you can't get a contrast. Creator of all, crucified. No, no, don't go there yet, Jamie. That's the next step. Just death. If he'd have come and just died, it would have been humiliating. It would have been a, a, a condescension that we could never grasp, that he yielded himself to just die. But that's not enough. He didn't just die, as we all will. He died in a manner that's the lowest manner that you ever could have died at. Crucifixion. It says he not only became obedient unto death, but it says even death on a cross. Crucifixion. The Jews said, if you're put on a cross, you're cursed. The Romans said, if you're put on a cross, you're a vile criminal. They mocked him. They stripped him. They beat him. They nailed him. It's not just that he died. From the form of God to death on a cross is an extreme you cannot measure. It's, it's, it's unmeasurable because we don't know how high form of God is. And we'll never know how low being God nailed to a cross is. They bury him. Now, at this point, he's no threat to anybody. And at this point, it's very easy for tyranny, those oppressors, they're not threatened by the hope that Jesus went to heaven. That's why it's such a misnomer that we, we think of someone dying and that the victory is that they went to heaven. That's a, a victory, but it's not the victory because Christ came down, came down, came down, came down, came down, died on the cross and was buried. Now, Paul assumes, he doesn't say everything there is about everything, but we understand from the rest of his writings and the gospels and we know that resurrection is what's implied here, but look at verse uh, nine. Therefore, in other words, he went down, down. He went from equal with God to he didn't cling to it. He poured himself out. He took on himself the form of a slave. He was in the likeness of human body just like ours. He humbled himself. He became obedient even to death, even to death on the cross. Therefore, God exalts him. Now, that implies what we know is resurrection. See, it's resurrection that threatens the Wicked rulers of the world, they're, they're, they're tormented by someone they can't get rid of. They're not tormented by some soul going somewhere. 
That body's back alive. I thought we killed him. You can't kill him. He's life. He came back. And God, not only did he raise him from the dead, he ascended him to, this is where we pick up the verse here, he exalted him. Now you got to remember, he's coming out with the same body he was buried in, transformed, not abandoned. Let's start over and get a better body. That body's known pain, sorrow. That body's been brutalized, healed, restored, redeemed, transformed. But now it's the body of a man in the form of God, God and a man. He's now the God-man, the man. He has been the whole time he was on earth. From his birth, he was God incarnate in flesh. But now he's taking something with him that he never had before he left, and that's a body. Transformed, glorified, still has nail scars in it. Had a young man this morning, and he's, God just gripped him to be reading the book of Revelation. Hadn't been to church in years. Had a dream about one of the pastors here, reminded him he grew up here. And he, he read about the lamb that had been as though it had been slain in Revelation 5 that we taught on. And it gripped him. He said, i got to come to church. I said, that was the story in just a different form, is that Christ died as the lamb. And his, through that death, he's conquered every power against us, every sin, every demon, every lie. He's, he's overcome. So God, now, now he's, he's now got to remember, taking it down is the journey he's called us all on. Giving up, letting go, surrendering, yielding, obeying, humbling. That's our journey if we're going to follow him. And let this mind be in you that others are more important than you. You see it at times when people give body parts to others to help save them, giving kidneys and donating things. You, you see that as people laying down their lives and, 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 and oftentimes in, in battle or police officers or, or people trying to defend people and, and they, they literally throw themselves on something that was going to hurt someone else. And you see glimpses of it. But you see it when somebody forgives somebody that doesn't deserve it. That's humility. That's what this path is. That's the mindset of Jesus who reveals the heart of God and calls us to be like him. And I think, oh, help me, Jesus, because I'm a long ways from that. And he's committed to us following in his way so that he can raise us up as he gets raised up. God exalts him, he says, to the highest place. It says in Acts 2 and other places, to his right hand. Place back of equality. He sits at the throne beside God the Father in an equal rule. There is no notch above. There's no get a little higher. God's not higher because they're equal. They're one. I and the Father are one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not in physical looks, but in his mindset, and his heart, his being. If you've seen my kindness, you've seen the Father's. If you've seen my humility, you've seen a God that's humble. Now Jesus, not only does he get exalted to a place that's higher than every place, the right hand of God, the next step up, God gives him a name that's above every name. Now, he has the name, but he gives him this name. You've got to understand, this is massively 
politically subversive. Because in this day that Paul writes, the, 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 the ruler over all of Rome was Caesar. And Caesar is Lord is what they were required to say in honor of Caesar. And now Paul's come along and said, well, Jesus just went way over you, Caesar. He's got a name above every name. That's any leader, any king, any power, any presence. God gives him. It's not just the word Jesus. I have friends that are named Jesus. It's not the word Jesus. It's the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just the, the word that God exalts. It's the person of Jesus that he exalts and gives him a name that's above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, here's our next level, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Universal worship surrender. This, is a, this doesn't mean that everybody will be saved. It just means everybody will honor him. It will not be an option. Right now it's an option. Christ doesn't make people follow him. As he follows this path of humility, it's to woo us, to win us, to love us, to bring us to that place of, wow, God did that for me. He had me in mind. Then my path at following him is to follow him by confessing him as my Lord. I do it joyfully. I love to tell people I love Jesus and he's my Lord. I, I, I don't do it out of coercion or force. Or, but if you can't get those words out, and they come out sideways, and, and, and you're embarrassed to tell somebody. Now, I'm not talking about being religious or condemning people or looking down at them, but just to say, you know, I, I, I've given my life to Christ. Jesus is my Lord. If you can't get those words out, and you don't get those words out, something's wrong in your following of Christ. You're letting selfish ambition, you're letting fear of people. You're letting something rob you of the humility to recognize who your God is, who your Lord is. You know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a powerful imagery. There's a lot of shows on TV about the undercover bosses. I, I think they're great. And it's usually shocking. I've often been at businesses and wished that the boss would be going to cover and see how they run it. You know, it might be, it's pretty, I knew a guy that used to do that at churches. He would put a camera on him and dress up like a, 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 a derelict, and he'd come visit the church, and he'd film everything. All the people's reactions, the people that got walked out of the way, the people that wouldn't sit by him, just, and he was all disheveled. And he filmed it. Then he'd bring the leaders together, and he'd rewatch it. It was brutal. Now, I'm going to tell you something about this church right here. I think we'd do pretty well. We don't need to fake it. We deal with people all the time that have uh, a poor status in life, struggle. We love on them. We treat them with dignity. We do it on Thursday. We do it as we feed. We do it. I just think we, we've worked hard at that uh, as, as a church. And I'm not saying we've arrived, but Jesus was the ultimate undercover boss. He's the creator. And he walked around. And people treated him like filth because he wasn't demonstrating enough power. He didn't show enough wisdom. It was foolishness to them. Now he's being exalted. He's got a name above every name that you will bow. Now, there's a bowing out of 
chosen surrender because I love him. And then there's a bowing because his foot's on the back of your neck. And if you choose to not bow now, there will come, whether it's demons or those that have just mocked him, they're going to come a reckoning. Now I'm to choose to bow because I want to, and I'll continue to do that. But there'll be a day where some people have stiffened their neck and resisted God and mocked Jesus, and they will bow, and they will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's who he is and to the glory of God. Now, where he came, how low he went, God exalts him. Now he's the man Christ Jesus, our mediator, our high priest, our savior. He's like me, but he's God and been fully transformed at the right. All I can say is hallelujah. I can't, I can't give you any more words. I'm out of words. I'm out of, it's it just, it's it, all of that. For Paul to say, hey, would you, would you be humble? Think about others. Wow, why didn't you just tell us that, Paul? Because he took us into a, a world of the mind of God. How God thinks and acts and feels. How he never would look down on others that are different. How he would never be a condemning, judgmental, arrogant He's a, he's a God. If he, he could have looked down on all of us that way. But he came and became one of us so that he could rescue us. And that he could give us this mindset that's so countercultural. It's not just let me get mine. I'm going to win. And if I don't win, that means you win. And if you win, I get less. And we, we, it ruins marriages. It ruins relationships. It's this this selfish ambition that he warned about. This, I got to be first. I've got to win. I got to be in power. I got to be in charge. Here's the God of the universe choosing to not be in charge. I just don't see myself being able to handle that. It's one thing if somebody comes at me with a weapon and I've got no weapon. No weapon. And I go, I'm not going to shoot you. Yeah, because you don't have a gun. There's another thing if somebody comes at me with a weapon and I've got a gun and I'm really good at shooting it and I don't use it. Jesus had the gun. He had the power. He didn't have to be spit on. I would have said, your head, fall off. And that head would be rolling around on the ground going, what are you spitting on now? Yourself. I mean, seriously, he had that power. At one point, he said, I, I could call down thousands of angels right now. Boom, you're done. But he didn't. It's not that he couldn't. He didn't. There's a big difference. I couldn't. And so it's easy to not do it when you can't do it. But if you can do it and don't do it, that's called love. That's called humility. That's called I'm laying down my life. When you forgive somebody, you're practicing the mindset of Christ. When you humble yourself and care for someone that doesn't deserve it, you're practicing the mindset of Christ. When you work towards peace and unity and you don't allow your opinions, you don't cling to them in such a way that ruins relationships, that people are more important than your positions, 
People are more important than your opinions. People are more important than your preferences. That's what Jesus harmagonized. I can't even say it now, but it's right there in the Word. He didn't cling to it. He let go. Because he won by losing. He won by being weak. He won by surrendering. And watch God lift him up. The path to greatness is this path. And it's not a fun path, but it brings great joy. The path in the kingdom to being great is to learn to be the servant, is to be least. It's not to have the title, the position, or the privileges. It's to have the responsibility to love with his love. What a Jesus. What a God. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, you have given Jesus a name that's above every name. And Lord, that, that, that at that name, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glorify you, Father. Lord, I just pray today, there's probably people here that they acknowledge Jesus, but they've never surrendered. They, they know he is, but they're not sure all that he is. And Lord, I just pray right now for those people that are sitting here or maybe watching online. Lord, that you would, uh, by your love, woo them right now. You're not going to force them to follow. You said, Peter, drop your nets and follow me. He could have just kept right on fishing. Lord, you didn't go around forcing people to love you. You love them, and then those that chose to follow you were able to love you back. Lord, I pray for that one that's here. Lord, that you'd open their hearts to you right now. And just let him whisper to you right now how much he loves you, that he had you in mind when he took this, this journey from the highest heavens to the lowest hell. He took that journey for you so he could raise you up so that you could literally sit with him and rule with him someday when he returns. What a journey, Lord, what a journey. All of history is seen in this journey. Lord, I just pray that you give courage to those that need to take a stand today. In Jesus' name, amen.